The brief nine verses that comprise our text for this morning offer a number of interesting sidelights. The archaeologist might, for example, notice the rare reference to baked mud bricks used in the construction of the city. Mud brick was the most common construction material in the ancient Near East, especially in areas like central and southern Mesopotamia, or modern Iraq, where there is neither sufficient stone for quarrying, nor the right kind of trees to use for large-scale building projects. But mud bricks were normally dried in the sun, not baked. The wood to fuel, the large ovens necessary to bake mud brick on such an industrial scale would have had to have been imported from the forests of the slopes of Mount Zagros, or the Zagros Mountains, more than 100 miles to the north. The text also mentions the use of bitumen as the mortar between the bricks. This practice, too, was rare. Normally, they used either nothing or simple mud to bind mud bricks together. Bitumen had to be imported from tar pits uh, well over 100 miles to the northwest from places like Hakanebi Tepe in southeastern Turkey. The use of these rare construction techniques mentioned in the text speaks to the importance of the project in the minds of the people and the effort and the cost they were willing to expend to accomplish it. And this in turn raises the question for us, why did this matter so much to them? The standard answer to that question would point to the pride, even the arrogance of those ancient Babylonians, <coughs> a pride that was so great that it moved them to challenge the very boundaries between mankind and heaven. And certainly pride is a problem, not just for these early Babylonians. But like it or not, the truth is that you and I share this same all-too-human failing, even if it doesn't manifest itself in quite so dramatic a form in most of our lives. But the text points us to a different answer. As we read this passage, something else ought to catch our attention. Three times in these nine brief verses, there is a reference to the idea of the dispersal or the scattering of the people. So that what ought to stand out here is the tension between the desire on the part of the people for social and cultural unity and the divine judgment produces cultural diversity. The starting point of the text is the unity of the people described in verse 1, in which everyone lived in one area and spoke one language. Verse 4 answers the question of the motivation of the people directly. It says, let us make a name for ourselves so that we will not be dispersed over the face of the land. So it wasn't just pride that drove them to undertake this expensive and difficult construction effort. It was the belief that the pride in their accomplishment 
would be a unifying force that would hold them together as one people. God's judgment upon them came in the very form that their sinful will strode to avoid. In verse 7, God shatters their cultural unity. In verse 8, we read, The Lord scattered them from there over the surface of the whole land so that they ceased building the city. Verse 9 summarizes the results of God's judgment. The Lord reduced to Babel the language of all the land and scattered them from there across the face of the whole land. Today, we live with the results of that diaspora. And it's not just that seminary students have to learn Greek as a result of this divine judgment. We live in different places. We wear different clothes, cut our hair differently, speak different languages, enjoy different music, eat different food, play different sports. All of these things are tangible, real-world results of God's judgment upon these early Babylonians. But for us gathered here, there is another practical result. At the beginning of the Festival of Weeks, God poured out his Holy Spirit upon the disciples of Jesus gathered in Jerusalem, giving them the miraculous power to speak in other languages to the Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, so that they all heard the disciples telling in their own languages the mighty works of God. So began the long foretold harvest of the Gentiles, when God would bring back from the various places on the face of the earth the people that he had scattered once again to Mount Zion as his redeemed people. And now God sends you out into this diverse world to preach and teach his word, to proclaim the death and resurrection of the Jesus Christ who has saved you and has saved all the peoples scattered over the face of the earth. In you and in your ministry, God is working to undo the effects of the judgment upon the builders of that towering city and gather from the ends of the earth to the one true Mount Zion of his church, all the redeemed under one Lord, in one faith, through one baptism not so that we can make a name for ourselves, but so that we may glorify the name of Jesus in the eternal city of God. And this leaves me with just one question. Is your vision of your ministry big enough to handle this? Do you really recognize what you are a part of? The answer, of course, is almost certainly no. 
I doubt that any of us can get our mind around this and see it clearly and keep that vision before us all the time. We're just too easily captured by the moment and imprisoned in our little corner of the world. And that's okay. After all, you can only serve God in one place and in the one moment that we call now. But perhaps one time each year, 50 days after the Passover, at the beginning of the Feast of Weeks, which, by the way, was originally the celebration of the early harvest, one time a year, God in his infinite mercy may let you see the breadth of his great harvest and give you peace and joy in the knowledge that as messengers of his grace, every word that you speak, every act of comfort that you perform, every hour you study, every class you teach, every single life that you touch with his love adds to the ingathering, the ingathering that is creating a new people, one new people out of all the scattered nations, a new people with a greater unity than those ancient Babylonians could ever have dreamed of, a new people through Christ and in Christ and for Christ with whom you are called to glorify the name of Jesus in the eternal city of God. In that name, amen.